0: All right. What's up? Welcome back to the fifth episode. We've made it to five guys. We're getting old. We're, we're growing right in front of your eyes of the all in podcast. We're excited to have you. I'm your host, Griffin Gonzalez loaded show for you today. We're going to go through with our cold open, talk about who is making the college football playoff. You can go ahead and book it now. Book your flights if you're a fan. And then we also have a great conversation coming up with the legend himself, Rick Bozich. He's covered sports in Indiana and Kentucky for over 40 years he's going to share some of his favorite stories with us as well as talk iu football facing off against louisville this weekend two teams he is very close to so we have a great conversation with him all that and more coming up on the all in podcast let's get going All right, welcome back to the fifth episode of the All In Podcast. Excited to have you here. Griffin Gonzalez alongside you, and uh, really excited for our conversation today. We talked to Rick Bozich from WDRB down in Louisville, Kentucky. He's covered Louisville, Kentucky, Indiana, all three of those major schools for Over 40 years. He was elected into the Kentucky Sports Hall of Fame this week. He's in the Indiana Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Uh, He's just an absolute legend, Uh, one of my all time favorite people. He's been so good to me for so long. Um, I'll I'll never forget, I was going through a challenging time not that long ago, career wise. And um, Rick came up to me, gave me a big hug, and just kind of told me, hey, I'm going to be here for you. I'm always phone call away, no matter what you want, no matter what you need, please feel free to always reach out. So, uh, excited to have him on excited for him to share his stories. He truly is one of my favorite people. So excited for you guys to hear that. Um, that's going to come up in a few minutes. First, I got a deal for you. Uh, I'm proud to announce, I'm going to tell you today, who's making the college football playoff. I've seen enough. I've seen enough through two weeks. I can tell you who's making it. Um, And it's not as much as what I've seen in the first two weeks, as much as it's look at the strength of schedule (laughs) and look what we've seen in the first two weeks. What we've seen is utter dominance by some. We've seen statistical dominance by others. And we've seen their schedules the rest of the way. And frankly, it just makes too much sense for them to make the college football playoff at this time because they've already proven to us two weeks. They are one of the best four teams in America. Now, if they had to face off against any of the other top 12 teams in America, now that's where it gets interesting, but I don't think any of these teams will have to go through that for the remainder of their schedule, and that's what makes it interesting. That's what makes college football fun. That's what makes expanding the college football playoff as exciting as it is, because then you have these top teams that can't just waltz to a championship. No, and like automatically win one game, one difficult game, and then be in the championship game. No, they have to go through a more rigorous schedule. They have to play the best teams in the country and prove themselves. And it gives them a little wiggle room. So, you know, if you're the number three team in the country and you lose in week eight, your first game of the year, it doesn't absolutely kill you. I've always said if. You're going to be one of the top eight teams in the country. Your best, and you're going to have to drop at least one game. It's better to drop that game at the beginning of the year. Get the doubters on your side early, drop to 15, and then earn your way back up, win 11 straight, because then guess what? Who do we want in the playoff? A team that just lost in week eight, or a team that lost week one and then ran off 11 straight wins? Both teams have one loss, but we're going to put in the team that ran off with 11 straight wins instead because why the momentum is on their side. These four teams that I'm going to, I'm actually going to give you five today because I'm going to throw in that fifth one that could possibly make it, but probably will be left out. Okay. I'm still kind of dabbling with it in my head, but I can tell you who your number one team in the college football playoffs is going to be. It's going to be USC. We saw USC absolutely obliterate Stanford this past weekend. Stanford is not FCS opponent. They were 49-3 at halftime. USC has, is the only team in the country according to Pro Football Focus, with a top-10 offense and a top-15 defense. That's something no one else in the Pac-12 can say. So I'm not really concerned about them going against the rest of the Pac-12, despite how good the Pac-12 is this year. In fact, their toughest games, one ranks at Colorado. That will be fun. At I'm sure College Game Day will be there for that one as well, as they will be for every Colorado game, it seems, this season. At Notre Dame, that's another tricky one. Notre Dame might be seen on this list as well. We'll get to that. At Oregon and Washington at home. The reason I have USC in this playoff, the reason I have their number one, not only do I think they beat all those teams, especially since I think Notre Dame showed us some similar concerns of what we're going to see from Notre Dame the rest of the year at that in state NC state game this weekend. But I also see Oregon gonna fall eventually. I don't like Washington's defense. I absolutely love their offense. So I see USC able to lose just one of these games. They can drop any one of them that they want. Colorado would be a good loss. Notre Dame would be a good loss. At Oregon would be a reasonable loss. Washington would be a reasonable loss. If they win the Pac-12 championship, they're in. So I have USC being my lock in there. Are they going to be number one? I think they will be right now, but they're definitely going to be in the playoff. Number two, you ready for this? Big shocker. University of Michigan. I, I, I mean by far brought back the best roster, I think, in all of college football this year um, from what they had a year ago. Their toughest games remaining, though, they have by far, in my opinion, the toughest schedule of any of these teams on my list. They have at Penn State versus Ohio State. But let me tell you what Michigan has that neither one of those teams have. They have a top 10 offense and a top 25 defense. Penn State is close to that, but they're not there exactly according to Pro Football Focus. And I, I, I still think, you know, I think Ohio State usually is this vibe that Michigan has this year. Usually when we look at the Ohio State, especially from a Big Ten East point of view, you know, Michigan is always up there. Penn State's always up there. But we look at Ohio State and we're like, they're, they're just the Cleveland Browns practice squad. I mean, they're just like equally as good. I mean, they, there are questions of whether or not they could beat pro teams some years. Like, and I think Ohio State has taken that step down while Michigan has taken that step up. If that makes sense. And I think for us to really seriously consider what they can do, I mean, fine, drop Penn State, drop Ohio State, Michigan eleven one going to the Big Ten championship game, they are still still going to be in the college football playoff because no one in the Big Ten West is caliber enough to beat Michigan, Penn State, or Ohio State. So whoever wins the Big Ten East is going to win the Big Ten championship and is going to go to the college football playoff. I think the team with the best odds to do that is Michigan because either if even if they drop one, they're not dropping both. I don't see them losing to Ohio State at home this year. It's not going to happen. Ryan Day, I think, has proven to us he has struggled against Michigan. He has struggled against Jim Harbaugh but especially now when Ohio State's the team taking a step back and Michigan's taking the step up, Michigan's going to go to that college football playoff. Let's go to number three. I'm going Georgia. Listen, they got a championship caliber roster. I think right now what we've seen in the first two weeks is a little bit of a championship game hangover, but they're still dominating. They're still 2-0. And the biggest reason I think Georgia has a chance to go the distance here is their strength of schedule is by far the most, second most favorable on this list. We'll get to the fourth most favorable on this list, but I'm going Georgia. I, I, I They have Ole Miss and at UT. Um, and that Tennessee game is one I've circled that, wow, they might drop that one. Even if they do, they're still going to the SEC championship. They will still win, and they will most likely be in. I, I, I still think Georgia is going to try to go for that 3 Pete. I have them in as well, and I would not be somebody who wants to bet against Georgia Anytime time soon. Now, do I think they're going to win the championship this year? No, but do I think they're going to get into that playoff? I still think they're one of the top four teams in the country, and I think anyone would call you insane for thinking otherwise. It's a matter of can they get the wins to represent that. I think that's what's frustrating is we're going through this and we can see like the top team in the country might have two losses because of an injury to a quarterback or because of a unique situation or maybe weather, and I'll get to that in a second when we talk about Notre Dame, but I think Georgia is one of those teams that, even with a one-loss slip, they're still there. And they're still gonna, you're still going to have to deal with them. And for that reason, I think is going to be in. Let's go to number four, the last team in. I'm really struggling with this one, and I'm telling you why I'm going with this team over the other. I'm going Notre Dame, and here's why. One, strength of schedule. The remaining teams they play are USC at Duke and Ohio State. In fact, I would argue their strength of schedule is the one reason to count them out. Okay, so let's go ahead and give them the win against Ohio State. In my opinion, that eliminates Ohio State from playoff contention because, in my opinion, that means they have to beat Michigan. We don't have them beating Michigan, so Ohio State's out of playoff contention. They have at Duke. And they beat Clemson, but inside of that, I think it's at Duke. Um, Battle of a bunch of lawyers and uh, hedge fund managers in that one. Uh, And then finally, they got USC at home. So, in my opinion, Notre Dame drops what? USC at home, because I have USC going pretty much undefeated here. Notre Dame beats USC at home or loses to USC at home. Excuse me. Notre Dame's 11 1. I'm not sure how you leave out an 11 1 Notre Dame. They have the pedigree, they have the brand recognition, they have the fan base, they have the resume. I'm just not sure how you leave them out, especially if they beat Ohio State. Oh, also, the other reason Notre Dame's going to be in? Top five offense, top 11 defense. Stats speak for themselves. I wasn't impressed with the in-state win, NC State win because I didn't think they looked great. But let me tell you what it did impress me about the NC State win is we saw a lot of teams have to deal with weather delays on Saturday. And a lot of those games ended up being close because there's a lot of factors that you have to go into that. Keep, I know Notre Dame was struggling keeping players fed, keeping them hydrated, keeping them ready to go. When you have a delay over 30 minutes, that's a tough thing that you have to kind of factor in is keeping guys fresh, keep them ready to go. You can't just start a game and then have to come back and finish it. I thought Notre Dame did so as well as they could. They came back. They dominated towards the end. Um, and the biggest difference for Notre Dame this year compared to years past and why I feel better about putting them in compared to what I have years past, Notre Dame has a quarterback. They have a quarterback and they have a quarterback that I trust more than I trust all, but I would say Caleb Williams in college football this year. So for that reason, Notre Dame gets that fourth and final spot. So who gets that fifth spot? Who's getting left out of the mix? I'll tell you who, Florida State. In my opinion, Florida State has the easiest strength of schedule. I could see them being in. In fact, after this, I might get on FanDuel and place a bet on those five teams making the playoff. The reason I don't feel great about Florida State is, one, they play at Clemson. Yes, Clemson lost, but Davo Sweeney is known to turn it around and I'm sure he's trying to tell his guys 11-1, we're still in. The reason I really don't like Florida State is their defense. Yes, they looked great to get into LSU. They statistically, according to Pro Football Focus, they have the 65th best defense in college football through two games. I don't think that gets you in the college football playoff. I think that gets you a loss somewhere along the line that you're not supposed to lose. Maybe it's Pitt. Maybe it's you know, Clemson, maybe it's a different team. But the point is, I think eventually having the 65th best defense in college football two games in will show you what kind of team this is. Maybe they'll improve. Maybe they'll change. Maybe they will evolve and end up having a top 25 defense and be undefeated and they'll be in the college football playoff. What I'm saying right now is I have not seen enough from Jordan Travis and Florida State, despite how they dominated LSU, to sell me on the fact that they, with the 65th best defense, can make it to the college football playoff. I think they lose one or two. I think the strength of schedule is not there. And I think because of that, they're going to move down. And here's the thing. We've seen college football playoff committee has cared about a couple of things. One, conference championships. They have always cared about that. Very rarely are you going to see a team lose a conference championship and get into the college football playoff. And two, the other thing they really care about is the strength of schedule. They want to see as my favorite Gary Barter quote in the entire world, folks. They want to see the what the body of work that beautiful three word. They want to see the body of work, the bow, if you would, the body of work, the season put together. And I think Florida State with a win at hellish or against LSU on a neutral site and then at Clemson. Mm, just. Not enough there compared to Notre Dame, who has USC, Duke, Ohio State, NC State, Georgia, who has Ole Miss at UT, um, and is going to have an SEC championship victory against, who knows, maybe Alabama, maybe somebody else. You have Michigan at Penn State versus Ohio State, and the rest of the Big Ten East they have to go through, and Purdue, might I add. You have number two, Florida State. We talked about them. And then you have USC, who has to play the Pac-12, in my opinion, has the best conference in college football this year. So. Going down the stretch, I don't think this is that hard. All you have to look at, who has the best offenses with the best defenses and who has the best strength of schedule going down the rest of the way and the most winnable games. To me, the most winnable games, strength of schedule is Georgia. Georgia is the most likely of these five teams. Georgia out of USC, Florida State, Michigan, Notre Dame, and Georgia. Georgia is the one team I would bet goes into their conference championship game undefeated. If I had to bet who was going to go undefeated, it would probably be them just based on the strength of the schedule. Number two in that category, probably, gosh, probably be Florida State there. Just because their strength of schedule is just not that great. And strength of schedule, if 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 Florida State finishes undefeated with a win against Clemson, they're probably getting in anyway. So, once again, my final four, I'm going one USC, two Michigan. Both those, I think, will be undefeated or one loss I really feel like this year with how transparent college football has been, we will have a, a number one seed with one loss, just because I think that's that's it's everyone's beating up on each other. So I'm gonna go USC one with one loss. One of those is either gonna be, I'm gonna say either at Notre Dame or at Oregon. You have two Michigan, who I'm also gonna put one loss. I think that's gonna come at Penn State. Number three, we're going Georgia who I think will have one loss at UT. And number four, we're going Notre Dame, who I think is going to have one loss at USC or against USC. So that is my who is making into the college football playoff. Um, I would argue that Georgia is probably going to get bounced down to four because of that one loss. I think it lost to USC, who ended up being number one. is a lot better than a loss at UT. Um, but that's your playoff. I'm going to make that bet today. I'm not telling you to. You do whatever you want without your own money. Please do not hold me responsible for that because I'm not telling you what to do. But I'm just telling you, from my perspective, I think we've seen enough. I think we've seen what we need to see. And obviously, college football can be dramatic. Injuries happen. I don't like to factor injuries into predictions. But I'll tell you, from what I've seen, these are the four best teams in college football right now. And I think these are the four that are going to be representing college football playoff come January. All right, that's cold open. Hopefully we had fun with that. I enjoyed that for sure. Coming up now, an interview with the one and only Rick Bozich from WDRB talking IU football, Louisville football, and just the whole sports industry as a whole. Let's get to it. All right, he's one of my all-time just favorite people. <laughs> one of my all-time uh favorite beat writers, one of my favorite sports reporters. And he's actually, he, he hates talking about himself, but we're going to brag on him. He actually was just named to the Kentucky Athletics Hall of Fame. He's the one, the very own Rick Bozich. Even though you're in the Kentucky Sports Hall of Fame, you, you still have Hoosier roots. So you still got some, some of the Indiana <laughs> side left in you. Rick, how you doing, man?
1: I'm good. You're right. I was born in Gary, Indiana. I went to Maryville High School. I worked in Anderson. I went to IU. I worked in Anderson and Bloomington and lived in New Albany. So I have plenty of Hoosier ties. Uh,
0: You've been in Louisville for a while. You've covered a lot there. I I guess with the award ceremony just being this week, what what was that moment like for you? What did that mean for you? I mean, it's not your first Hall of Fame induction, uh, but this one's certainly an impactful one.
1: I mean, incredibly humbling. I'm very appreciative. Didn't ever expect to get in the Kentucky Sports Hall of Fame. Cause I didn't expect to be here more than about two years, uh, move on and be somewhere else, but I learned to like it here and and, and, and love living here. Um, anytime you're in a Hall of Fame that's got Muhammad Ali, Daryl Griffith, uh, Pee Wee Reese, Paul Horning, people like that, I mean, that's a heck of an honor, and I went in with... Bubba Paris, who I covered in three Super Bowls when he was blocking for the San Francisco 49ers and Joe Montana, and Tom Leach, who's the voice of the Kentucky Wildcats, and Bridget DeVries, who's one of the first, uh, maybe the first ever uh, woman to be a high school athletic commissioner for an entire state, and Chris Lofton, who still holds a bunch of three-point shooting records in the Southeastern Conference, so it was a good class, and a lot of people there last night at the ceremony, family, friends, other Hall of Famers. So, I don't know. I'm still – part of me still doesn't believe it.
0: I, I'll, your resume really quick is I, – I know we have you shared some of your stories with me. You mentioned at the very beginning. You started your career in Indiana after graduating from IU. Um, just want to throw that out there. But you covered <laughs> – Covered Bobby Knight, which I know you have stories there. And if that wasn't exciting enough, you came to Louisville, you got to cover the up and coming of Denny Crum and his national titles and all that happened there. Howard Schnellenberger, another legendary coach you got to cover. Uh, Then you really turned up the drama as if Bobby Knight was enough. You get Patino at UK, then you get Calipari at UK, then you get Patino at UofL. Uh, Certainly you've had enough stories to write a book, but most importantly, you've gotten to Cover the rise and eventually some of the falls of some of the greatest coaches sports has ever seen i guess, I guess what has been for you the biggest lesson you've learned from covering some of those hierarchies and those highs and lows of their careers
1: Wow um, you know with each one it's a little bit different um, you start off. With Coach Knight, I got to IU the same year he got there. And Assembly Hall opened in you know in nineteen seventy one, and watching him become what he became and become so successful and so powerful, and then you know towards the end of his career he started to lose it at IU. Um, But just what a grip, what a hold he had on IU fandom, and you know, and even the nation for a while. I mean, anytime he did anything, it was a national story. Um at Louisville, Rick Patino is just a masterful person at um, creating storylines, dealing with the media, building narratives, you know, to win at U L and at, to go at Kentucky and then go coach later at their absolute top rival. Nobody could pull that off. Uh, Stellenberger came here when Louisville Football was this close. To de-emphasizing the program and becoming a one a AA program, and it was like their Hail Mary pass. Let's go get a guy who has roots in this area and bring him here and see what they can do. And he changed the whole perception of Louisville football. And you know, and you could argue that Louisville football—that's one of the great building jobs of all time. So everybody, just to sit back and watch. Try, you know, with with Coach Knight, it was just force of personality and intelligence with rick patino was you know salesmanship and just his ability to sort of motivate people with schnellenberger it was bluster and vision uh you know and tackling the more you told him something was impossible the harder he worked to prove you wrong um so all those guys you pick up a little bit
0: do you have a favorite one that was just like really just maybe not a favorite as in you cheered for him, but one that you were just like excited to go to that press conference for every day because you knew you were going to get something exciting out of it?
1: Well, every Bob Knight press conference was tense because you never knew uh, if you're somebody's going to ask ask a question and get their head taken off. So that was always interesting. Fair. But it, when he was in his prime and he wanted to do it and the right audience was there, he could be as informative as, or as entertaining as any coach I've ever talked to I mean he could talk about basketball in an informative way but he could also talk about so many other things um, you know you know patino is was always good he, he because he when he came here he came from the Knicks he was used to dealing with the New York media and he he would always leave you with a story he always he always he knew what your job was he, he I think he respected your job and he you know for the most part, I think he read what people wrote about him. And uh, he kind of, you know, tried to meet you. So he gave you what you needed. I mean, he, he, he could be difficult at times, and he didn't like it when you criticized him. I had several phone calls where he called me like screaming at me, but that's part of the deal. You know, I I learned to, in in the beginning, you don't like that. But in time, you realize I got my say, now he gets his say, and that's the way it goes.
0: You've covered the college basketball hotbed you know, for so long. You have so many stories. You mentioned the ones about Patino calling you. I know you have some great night stories. Have you ever considered just putting them all down? In a, I mean, That would have to be a sports fan's go-to read. Have you ever considered putting them all down in the book of what it's like covering college basketball in this region where it's bigger than God in some regions?
1: Yeah, I should do that. Uh, if I have any free time now, we're doing more work at WDRB. They just added a twice a week, 30 minute show for Eric and I on the, on the WDRB plus app. So yeah, I could do a chapter on every coach starting with, I'm trying to think at IU it's been Knight, and then it was Davis and then it was Samson and then it was Dockich, and then it was Crean and then it was Archie. And now it's Woody. Let's see. In mm-hmm. Kentucky, I've gone from Joby Hall who actually had a good relationship. He asked me to write the forward to his biography um, and I was there for the game when coach, coach Knight slapped them in the back of the head, uh, to Eddie Sutton, who was consumed by the pressure and got run out of here because of, of a scandal. And then it was Patino and then it was tubby who I just saw last night, uh, at the ceremony He came over and gave me a hug. And, you know, now that he's not the Kentucky coach anymore, he's not feeling the pressure he used to feel. Uh, and then it was what, um, who was after tubby? Oh, Billy Gillespie. And yep. then it was Cal and at Louisville, it's just gone from crumb to Patino to David Paget to Chris Mack to Kenny Payne. So, yeah, that's what 12 chapters right there. Fifteen chapters. So, yeah, at a at lot least. Of, Yeah. Well, the Patino, the Patino, the Patino,
0: the, Patino <laughs> the Patino Louisville chapters have to be at least like half a book itself. So you, you have the rise and um, the still, fall there.
1: I still have my text messages from the night that he got the maddest at me he's ever gotten, and uh, that would be a, a chapter that everybody would want to read because they had lost the game to Louis, to Kentucky in Rupp Arena, and he didn't come to the post-game press conference, and it was later shown that he flipped the fans off walking off the court, and I wrote a column ripping him saying that he was better than that and Cal could handle. That's the one thing he never liked if you ever said Cal did something better than he did. And he flew home from – he flew from Flor- uh, Louisville to Florida after the game because he gave the, couple teams, uh, the team a couple days off because it was the holidays. And by the time he landed in Miami and was told or saw what I wrote, he was fired up and started sending me these text messages. And I'll show them to
0: you sometime if you're there Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one a lot of people would love to see. That's just – classic college basketball coaches, right? Just, yeah. You know, some great guys, sometimes a little bit of an ego. Yeah, the sometimes. thing is
1: about Patino he's, he's dangerous right now because he's in St. John's in a majors market and he's highly motivated to prove everybody wrong. And he did really well in the transfer portal. And I will predict he will make a final four in the next three or four years.
0: You're calling I, Rick Patino going to the final four in the next three to four years.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, I am.
0: Well, well, Why is that? St. John's has been a program that can't do much. Why why now? Just he's that powerful.
1: He's that good of a coach. He's that motivated to prove everybody wrong and get on the final stage and write another chapter to what his book, uh, to what his legacy is going to be. And his legacy won't be, you know, just winning a title at Kentucky and having one at Louisville that was taken away from him. it'll be came back in the end and won another one at St. John's. I'm not saying he's going to win the national championship. I'm just saying he's going to go to the final four at St.
0: John's in the next four or five years. That's bold. I like that one, Rick. I like that one. Uh, Speaking of final fours, you've covered a lot of them. You've covered Louisville mm-hmm. there, Kentucky there, Indiana there. I, I, I guess for you, when you look at all the teams you've covered in this region for all this time, which one stands out? I, I Once again, I, I want to stay away from the word favorite, but maybe the one that just kind of comes back in your memory bank a lot and just how, what kind of fun that season was to cover.
1: I mean, it's got to be the 1975 Indiana team. I know that the 76 team is the one that went undefeated and won the national championship with the 75 team. That was the year I was a senior. And I covered the team for the Daily Student, and that was Steve Green and Laskowski and those guys. And that was the year that Coach Knight really showed what he could do. That team, if you go back and look at the scores game by game, they were more dominant than the 76 team. And then Scott May broke his arm uh, against Purdue in February and tried to come back and play, and they end up losing to Kentucky in the regional final. But... I got to know those guys. I still, you know, Steve Green, Abernathy, Quinn Buckner, Scott May, Bobby Wilkerson was always great to me. On the Back then, Coach Knight actually let the daily student fly in the team plane, so I went on two road trips. And Bobby Wilkerson was my favorite because um, sometimes the daily student person didn't get as much food as everybody else. And he always made sure if I was looking like I was a little bit hungry, he'd slip me a cookie. There you go. <laughs> But those guys, they were so good, you know, and then they had their heart ripped out from that. When then they lost that game to Kentucky. There are two locker rooms in my life that I felt back when locker rooms used to be open. We could go in locker rooms. There are two locker rooms in my life that I felt like I didn't belong in. And that was one of them. Uh, Indiana lost to Kentucky and didn't get to go to the Final Four. And it was just, you know, despair in the locker room. And the other one that compares to that one in 1992 when Christian Leitner hit the shot and beat Kentucky in that epic 104-103 game in Philadelphia, that was the end for John Pelfrey and Feldhaus and Sean Woods and those guys. And I went in the locker room and I felt like I didn't belong in there either because they were so crushed by the defeat that I don't think they really wanted media people in there. So uh, those are the the, the 75 Indiana team will be the one that I always, uh, you know, think about the most.
0: Hey, You've been a journalist for so long. I want to ask this because the podcast does kind of cover sports, media, just culture, all that. When you've been in a region as long as you have, you know, I know you do such a good job of kind of staying away from, you're not a fan, but you, you also, I I feel like there's a line you tow where it's kind of like where maybe the not loyalty per se, but you know where you're just that home base is do you -hmm. you feel like that do you feel yourself kind of like hey you you're not rooting for kentucky but you're rooting for the story that this team could tell is that is that how you would describe it that's how i always felt like i described it but
1: yeah i I guess the best way to point it you know kentucky since i've been here has won won three national championships 96 98 Mm -hmm. 2012 96 that team was coached by patino they were ranked number one for a good part of the year and you thought they were going to win. 2012 was the Anthony Davis team that was really good and was expected to win and did win. But the most enjoyable team to cover, and the team you kind of pulled for, was the 1998 team because it was Tubby Smith's first year. They lost a bunch of games early in the year, and people were grumbling about them. They didn't really have the overpowering NBA talent that the other two Kentucky teams did. They had Jeff Shepard and Scott Padgett and um, Hashimu Evans and – Uh, Wayne Turner and those dudes, and they really, for those guys, like winning the national championship really meant more because they were proving people wrong. And most of them weren't going to go on to be NBA players like this. They knew was the apex of their career. Um, And so I think what you're talking about is, um, yeah, you're not really a fan, but it's, it's more fun to do your job when a team that you're covering wins. People are easier to be around. Uh, they're more likely to talk to you. Um, pe- more people want to read about it. So, yeah, the teams like that, the overachieving teams are, are, the, the, are the fun teams to cover because they're appreciative of what they're accomplishing.
0: I always felt that, especially, you know, I look at the. I think my prime example that I look back to when I, when you say that just kind of the overachieving versus the expectate, I think of the 2011, 2012 Indiana team versus 2012, 2013 Indiana team where 2011, 2012, you know, they knock off Kentucky in the watch shot game. And then all of a sudden they're winning. This is the first time they're winning in the green era. This first time they're and they're grateful for it. They're excited for it. It's like every time they get a road victory, you know, the fan base is a, Exuberated because it's like wow we we didn't win big Ten road games two for the past five years prior, then you go to twelve thirteen where winning be kind of came the expectation, and yeah it was I think it was fun for Indiana fans, but there was also this kind of well there's this added pressure I think is the best way to describe it it's almost like right. when it becomes the expectation rather than the surprise it's still fun if you're a fan, but it also takes a lot of the joy out of the close games and a lot of the, you know, all that, which you get. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they both
1: went to the sweet 16, but the 2012 team is viewed as a success and the 2013 team, even though it won the big 10 regular season championship and went to the sweet 16 is viewed by some, you know, people as a, you know, a letdown because they didn't, it was final four bust really that year. And I, I even remember being in new Orleans at the 2012, Final Four before the national championship game, and I was in the press room talking to some national writers. And we all know that not long after the national championship, everybody puts out their, you know, way too early lists of rankings for next year. And I was told by a couple people, yeah, Indiana's going to probably be ranked number one in this poll. And I remember texting Tom Crean. I said, better get ready for it because they're going to ramp the expectations up for you by the end of the week that you're going to be number one in a bunch of these polls. And that's what you're talking about. And you know when it's always better to under promise and over deliver because when people start talking about how good you're going to be, then, you know, a certain amount of the uh, fan base and, and the national people set those expectations. And if you don't meet them, then they're going to view you as a letdown.
0: Someday we're going to have to have a deeper conversation about the Tom Crean era of Indiana basketball. I'm going <laughs> to save that for another day, but something I would. I think, I think when it comes to be a basketball season, like when we actually move on past football season, when, you know, when we hit October, when hope for Indiana football usually dwindles, we'll, <laughs> we'll open the book to the, I can't do it before October. I can't do it before okay. mid-October well, media next
1: uh, week from today. I just saw,
0: see, there we go. Of course. Cause we have to talk about basketball now that it's <laughs> September. Right. Um, uh, I I am going to ask one question about IU basketball just because I have you here and I want to ask you about it. Um, IU basketball, back-to-back, huge recruiting weekends. And when I say huge, I mean it's just Indiana has not had these levels of recruits, these high-caliber recruits on campus all at the same time, it, it's something Archie was never able to do. It's something Crean wasn't really able to do. It's something we, we, we know Samson probably could have, but wasn't able to do in the short time that he was there, and something Davis and something we haven't seen in a while is what I'm trying to say. Uh, what is Mike Woodson doing right now at Indiana that, from your viewpoint, not a lot of guys have been able to do since Bobby Knight?
1: Uh, I think it's several things going on. One is um, he's earned a tremendous amount of credibility uh, because of the way he carries himself and the way he helped Trace Jackson Davis improve and get picked um, by the Warriors and get that contract where the first two years are guaranteed. He took Jalen hood shafino who was probably a top 25 player coming out of high school and turned him into a one and done point guard. And did what he said he was going to do. He said, I'm going to let you play and run my team. I'm going to have confidence in you. Uh, and I think people pick up on that. And I think another thing, people, you know, put all the pieces together and say, yeah, this really is a dude who can coach and win in college. And he coached in the NBA and he has NBA connections. That helps. And I think he has a really good staff. I mean, Kenya Hunter and, and uh, Yaseer Rosemond and, and Brian Walsh are go-getters, and then don't forget Jordan Holes and Adam Howard. I think they're very aggressive. Uh, and, and the thing that Woody said a long time ago is, like, I think he said some of his assistant coaches told him, um, "We can't recruit those kind of guys yet. We haven't done enough." And he goes, "No, this is Indiana. We deserve a seat at the table. We're going to d- demand a seat at the table." And so he's he's not taking no for an answer. And you know, the next step is he needs to land some of these guys. They've gotten. Hood Shafino, they got Renew uh, on the rebound, they got Mbako on the rebound, but they need to go in and, and slug it out with some of the Kansases and Dukes and Carolinas and Kentucky's and, and win these recruiting battles, and we'll see if he gets it done.
0: It certainly looks like he's doing it as of now. I mean, just I remember the Mbako commitment. Just I, I talked to some of those guys you mentioned, and they were just like, This this kid's good. And it feels like the difference is it felt like with Crean. You were getting guys who'd come in and be developed in two to three years. With Archie, you got one good guy every two to three years, you know, who maybe could figure it out. But we were going to get in-state guys who just couldn't figure it out. And now with Woodson, it looks like he, his priority is we're not going to dominate and be on the can. He, you know, I think like he, well, I feel like Woodson's looked at it and said, I don't want to recruit like Purdue recruits. You know, Purdue might find success there. We're Indiana. We're going to go compete with UNC. We're going to go compete with Kansas. We're going to go compete with Duke. And I feel like he's done just that. And he's been able to capture, you know, I I said on Crimson cast last weekend, what I think Woodson has done masterfully that no other coach has been able to figure out in Indiana. He's been able to connect the past with the present and the future. Mm -hmm. And he's been able to look, you know, understand where we've been, use that as a program lift but also not let it hinder where he's trying to go and not be so focused on the past he can't get to the future and where players want to go in the sense that guys want to get to the NBA. That is the number one thing a recruit cares about, about getting out of high school. Who's going to develop yes, me and get me to the, the next level as quickly and as efficiently as possible? And I think Woodson, yes, he did a great job with Trace. I really thought the Jalen hood Shafino commitment, development, and then exit really, really showed – All these recruits, wow, look what Mike Woodson can do in one year.
1: Yeah, and he did the modern thing, which is what good coaches do. He showed up in New York City and supported him on NBA draft night and showed people, like, this is my guy, and my guy likes me. He wants me here with him. Uh, That matters to players. Relationships matter to players. And the next step he has to make, he has to take two steps. One is um, he's got to get in these top recruiting battles and win them. And the next one is, all right, you've gone to the – Round of sixty-four the first year, you went to the round of thirty-two last year. Now you got to have more success in the tournament. It's Indiana. Uh, we all know that people got upset with Tom Crean because he went to three sixteens and never got any farther. I mean, Woody's got to take the next step.
0: I'd like to point out of those three Sweet Sixteens, Crean went to all three of those teams went on to the Final Four of the championship game. I, I just love pointing that out to me because I think people oh, forget that. Them? Like. The the teams that beat Crean in the Sweet 16 went on to go to the Final Four or win. Kentucky won. Syracuse went to the Final Four. Right, and I believe North Carolina was in the championship game and lost to Villanova that year.
1: That's correct. Yeah. So it's
0: not like he's it's not like he's losing to you know St. Francis or uh, you know these Crean at least lost to good guys. And I think it's not like the end of the night
1: era when they were losing to Pepperdine and Richmond and California and some of those teams. People forget about that.
0: Right. We're going to go to IU football in one second, but I ask you, I want to ask you one quick question. Um, okay, if you look at Kentucky with Cal and the current state they're in, I know Kentucky fans are very, very anxious for this season because that's going to tilt the way they feel about Cal a lot, depending on how that season goes. You got th- what's going on with Kenny Payne down in Louisville, and, and then you have Mike Woodson and what he's doing at Indiana. If you look at the next five years. And you have to pick one of those guys who's going to have the most success. Which one are you riding with?
1: Between Kenny Payne, Calipari, and and, uh, Woody? Yeah. That's tough. Um, I guess I'll go with Woody. Um, He's on the upward tick. Cal seems to have lost his fastball a little bit, and there's grumbling within the fan base. And once you get grumbling to that level, it's kind of hard to flush it out. I know he's got a great freshman class this year and they're still trying to get one of their seven foot two recruits from Croatia eligible. Um, and you know, Louisville's got a farther path to go when you're only won four games the year before. Uh, that's a longer journey. So I guess I'll go with Woody. Gotcha.
0: All right. Let's talk football. Um, okay. it's, it's an Indiana based podcast. We got to talk about basketball first, of course. Um, Indiana going up against U of L this week. Uh, Tom Allen just can't escape Jeff Brom, it seems. Um, but this is this is going to be the one and only meeting of these two teams. We thought we were going to have three years of this. We're only going to get one. Um, catch me up on Louisville. I, I know J- Brom took over. Bring in Jack Plummer. Bring in a lot of other guys. You lose a lot of the defense. You know, you lose Yaya to the NFL draft. You lose just Sierra Dula to the NFL draft. You have a lot of guys graduate from a year ago. What is this Louisville team like for listeners right now who have not watched you know, the Georgia Tech or Murray State game? What, what can you tell me about this team's makeup and how has it been changed from the Scott Satterfield era at Louisville?
1: Um, a little bit more creative on offense. Um, running it more than people thought that they were going to run under Jeff Brom. Uh, and that's the one thing you shouldn't overlook about Louisville. They have Jawar Jordan who leads the nation in yards per carry. He's at like 16 yards per carry. He broke off a big run against Georgia Tech and another big run against Murray State. Jack Plummer's been good, not great. Jeff's been a little bit. If you read between the lines, wants him to be more decisive and play with a little bit more confidence. Uh, defensively, solid, but last year they had playmakers. As you mentioned, uh, Yasir Abdullah and Yaya Diaby, and, and uh, they got Monty Montgomery, who's actually at Ole Miss. I think they're down five of their top eight tacklers from last season, so they've been good. Uh, but they haven't been getting a ton of takeaways, so it'll be interesting to see how the Hoosiers attack them.
0: Jack Plummer, you said you want he wants them to be more decisive. Four touchdowns this year so far, two forty-seven yards in both of his first two games. I've never I've never seen a stat like that where a quarterback throws right. exactly the same yardage for the first two games. Um, is this? It feels to me when I've watched Jeff Brom at Purdue, something he would do is. He would have a quarterback quarterback would struggle early, but as the season went on, eventually this quarterback would be kind of an all big 10 quarterback by in the discussion, at least by the end of the year, do you feel like that could be the situation we're in with Jack Plummer? Is there still a little more gap there than we've seen in, with Jeff Brown? Quarterbacks from years yeah. past?
1: I mean, I think it's possible. I mean, he's, he throws a good ball. He's very poised in the pocket. but, um, you know he understands braum's offense and he's got some good receivers who he's just getting used to this is a whole new team for him so it it's possible and the, and the one thing that Louisville has going in its advantage is that they don't play Florida State, they don't play Clemson, they don't play North Carolina, they don't play the three best teams in the ACC so the schedule is very favorable um if they can beat Indiana then they got Boston College next week. Boston College is not very good, almost lost to Holy Cross. Then they yeah, go to NC bad. State. Then they would have Notre Dame here. They have a chance to be five and zero playing Notre Dame at home and become a national or at least a, a very you know strong regional story.
0: So what what if would you say right now? Two games in. You've watched both. You were in Atlanta. You watched last Thursday. Gosh, don't you just love Thursday Friday games? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you watched last Thursday. I, I guess for you, where's the biggest area of weakness for this Louisville Cardinal team that Jeff Brom has to figure out if he wants to get this program to national prevalency in year one?
1: Um, You know, I, the one thing you'd have to say is defense. They had one bad quarter against Georgia Tech. I don't know if you saw that game at all, but they gave up 28 points in the second quarter. Other than that, the defense has been terrific, but they did have that one quarter where they couldn't get off the field. Uh, so I'd say, I don't know if, Indiana or any other team can find some vulnerabilities they saw in that quarter uh, and and attack those, but that would be the main thing. And on on offense, I'd say Plummer needs to play better. Um, He's thrown a pick in each game. Uh, He threw a pick against Georgia Tech. He actually threw two against Murray. I throw one of them out because it was a Hail Mary on the last play of the first half, but, you know, he, he, he has turned the ball over. And if you look back at his stats last year at Cal, I think he finished the season with picks in his last three games. So I know that Indiana's defensive secondary has played better than it was expected to do. They got some dudes back there. Uh, So that's an area that I think that they need to tighten up.
0: Let's talk about the Indiana side of things. Uh, Tom Allen pulled the annual week three tradition. He named a quarterback a starter. It's it's big for this program. Um, And, you know, we we drawled it out as long as they can, and they finally did it. Taven Jackson, um, thoughts on him from what you've seen so far? Do you like him? Do do you think he's got the ability to lead this team to a possible bowl game this year?
1: Uh, Yeah, I do like him. I like his potential. That's the thing is I think he's still a little bit raw. Um, he needs more experience. He needs more reps. He needs more exposure. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he responds on this stage. Um, I kind of understand why I didn't throw him out there against Ohio State. Uh, it could have maybe hurt his confidence. He looked good against Indiana State, but he's not going to have the time to sit back there and, and just be comfortable throwing the ball the way against, did against the Sycamore. So we'll see. He needs to, he'll have to get the ball out faster. He'll have to make decisions faster against Louisville on
0: Saturday. Have you been impressed, I I guess, from, you know, Indiana was talking a lot about just the past two years. You go from two wins to four wins. uh, Or three wins, excuse me. But have you been impressed with the way Tom Allen, you know, won and I think the biggest thing coming in from this past season was they needed to desperately improve offensive line play. The offensive line has looked significantly improved, and Ohio State will be the first ones to tell you that. Uh, still have a long way to go, but it's better than what we've seen. The defensive line looks like a Big Ten defensive line. Uh, Have you been impressed by his ability, despite the lack of success over the past two years, the ability to kind of turn some momentum back here and create some talent in the trenches where it has been just god-awful for the past few years?
1: Yeah, I mean, he finally took it seriously and got a better offensive line coach. They did a better job in the transfer portal and improved their defensive line, especially. Um, And, you know, the thing about Allen, his enthusiasm never wavers, never wanes. He's always positive. He's always picking guys up and he doesn't let negativity uh, settle in. So, uh, I've been impressed by the way he's tried to, you know, to keep pushing forward, but he just needs, he really needs this win this week, because I think if he can beat, this is their best path to get to six wins in a in a, in a bowl bid by winning a non-conference game so they don't have to win four Big Ten games, and it's also a chance to get people back on his side fan-wise as, as they, you know, then they go to Akron, they can get to three and one, and you get people excited about your program again.
0: Well, I was saying to somebody this past week. It, it really, when you go down the stretch of the schedule, it really see. I see five. If you take the Louisville situation out, I see five. The, the Louisville one, in my opinion, gets you to a bowl. But it's not even that. It's the confidence that a Louisville win provides you. It's going yeah. against an actual Power Five school, not Indiana State. It's knowing that you can get a good quality win against a, you know, Louisville's not a bad program. This is a team that no. arguably should have won more games than they did last year, probably will win more games than they did last year this year. And it feels like for Indiana, this not only serves as a win, you know, that adds to your total to get to six, but also gives you confidence heading into what will be a grueling Big Ten season if you let it.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you can beat Louisville, a team that expects to win eight games, you know, is ranked in the top 35 in all the computer power rankings that's, uh, you know, against a coach that you've gone one and four against and Jeff Brom and everybody says, you know, has their number, um, you know, and, and you put yourself, as I just said, beating Louisville. And then if you can beat Akron, you're three and one. And then it's Maryland, I guess, on the road. I mean, if, if, you've, if you're three and one, you keep the, the talk alive longer of getting to six and winning a bowl game. Uh, if you lose this game, you know how it is around IU football. All the, the doubters and the negativity are going to come out in and, and the basketball media days next week. And as you mentioned, the conversation is going f- to flip to basketball.
0: Do you do you think historically it you know we hear rumblings about how it's kind of awkward <laughs> just in the athletic department just about how quickly the transition occurs and how fans are all right, Indiana football's not winning six, time to shift. Do you feel that the attention that fans gravitate towards when it comes to be even close to basketball season has almost caused a you know a lack of growth in the Indiana football program over the past couple decades, in the sense that it just no, has always gravitated. No question, gravitated. About, it.
1: No question really. about it. It's something that Indiana should have dealt with twenty or thirty years ago. Um, twenty or thirty years ago, there was it was such just a basketball-centric situation and other schools. I think changed, and you know Louisville was one of those schools. They invested in football. They built Papa John's Cardinal Stadium. They went out and hired coaches that were successful elsewhere. They made football a priority. Kentucky did the same. They hired rich, rich Brooks who had built a winner at Oregon. They built a better practice facility. They modernized their stadium. Indiana is talking about doing that now, but it should have been done 20 or 25 years ago.
0: Well, it certainly seems like that's where they got to go. So we'll see if they're able to invest. Certainly that new big 10 money helps. So we'll see if that changes over time. Rick, last one quick for you, who are you going okay. with on Saturday? What is the prediction you got for us?
1: Uh, you know, the, Cards are favored by 10. I think it's going to be Louisville. I don't know. 28 13. That'd be my guess. I'm not I, I'm not convinced from what I saw against the Ohio State game that in Indiana will be able to score that much. Uh, and Brahm is able to usually score on pretty much anybody. So I'll say 28 13 uh, Cardinals.
0: Awesome. Well, Rick Bozich, you can be, all right. read all of his work at WDRB.com. Rick, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, Griffin. Appreciate it. See you, man. Thank you.
0: All right. That's our podcast today. Shout out to Rick Bozich for coming on. Always a pleasure chatting with him, talking. Well, I, you football, a little IU basketball, a little just what's going on in the region between Kentucky and Indiana. And just, man, he's like I said, he's got a book full of stories. He's an awesome guy. He's been a huge reason I've done what I've been able to do. And just, he's been a great friend, uh, as well as a great mentor. So Rick, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate you. We love you. Uh, and we appreciate you and love you for listening as always. Hope you enjoyed this edition of the one and only all in podcast. If you have any feedback, we'd love to hear it. Instagram DMs are open at GriffGonzo. Gonzo. You can hit me up on Twitter at GriffGonzo. Gonzo. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the pod, what we can do better, what we can do worse. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, as always, thank you for listening. Be kind to each other out there and go make today the best day of your life. We'll see you later. Swoop.